0: Next scripture will be from Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 56. Reading from the ESV. Luke 1, 28 to 56. And the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored One, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God.
1: For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my room makes for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble state of a servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever.
0: And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. As we look at the Magnificat, Mary's song, this third Sunday of Advent, I just want to give you some background notes to the passage (laughs) we just read. First of all, if Mary was betrothed at the normal age of a person in first century Palestine, She would have been between 14 and 16 years old. So when you think of the angel Gabriel going to Mary, think of someone you know, a girl you know who's only maybe 15 years old. The normal response when angels go and visit human beings in the scriptures is not not this warm, fuzzy feeling. Because angels weren't these chubby-cheeked cherubs. Angels were overwhelming. So the normal response when when angels meet human beings in the scriptures, one of the first things angels almost always have to say is do not be afraid. And so when Gabriel appears to Mary, Gabriel says, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. And it's no surprise that Mary was confused by this and was trying to figure out what to do. So then to kind of ease her and to to help her, her not be so fearful, Gabriel says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Which means he said it twice. Greetings favored one, and then you have found favor with God. They're two different words. What they they refer to is, is not that Mary is a blessed person so much because of who she is, but they have to do with the grace and kindness and goodness of God that God is going to pour out upon Mary. And then Gabriel drops the bombshell. And he tells Mary what God plans to do. As a virgin, and the scripture is very clear, the words are very clear, there's no question about it, she had not known a man as a virgin, she would give birth to a baby boy who would be the Messiah. And gave leaves. And then Mary has to figure out what to do with the pieces of her life. Think of the audacity of what God was asking this 15-year-old girl to do. Think of the... The shame and humiliation that she would surely feel from her parents, from Joseph, from other family members in the community. And think, too, of the shame that was going to attach to Joseph and her family, because who on earth was going to believe that she really was a virgin and was pregnant anywhere, anyway? Um, Which is what makes Mary's response so incredibly astounding. She didn't listen to Gabriel and say, well, you know, Gabriel, that is a really interesting proposal from God. Let me get to my mentors and let me pray about it and I'll get back to you about whether I want to do this or not. Mary's immediate response is, may it be to me according to your will. Facing almost sure ridicule and shame and contempt without even... even thinking about it for a moment, she says, may it be to me according to God's will. Well, then, of course, she has to go tell Joseph, right? That's got to be one of the most horrible breakups in the world. Because from Joseph's perspective, she cheated on him while they were engaged. Can you imagine the tears that must have been there? The only reason that Joseph came around was because an angel visited him and told him, that it was actually true. As unbelievable as it was, it was actually true that she was a virgin, but that she would become the mother of the Messiah, the mother of Emmanuel, God with us. Well, Gabriel told Mary about Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth lived between 80 and 100 miles away in the hill country of Judea, um, further away from where Mary was. So Mary, we are told, with haste. So, so she got up and went to go see Elizabeth would have taken three to four days for her to travel that 80 to 100 um, miles. And, and through history, people have surmised that, that um, Mary or Elizabeth was Mary's aunt, but actually the word that Luke uses here is she's just a relative. So we don't know what their relationship was, but we do know that they knew each other well enough, because when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house, and it's not like Mary texted her in advance saying, I'm going to come. When Mary shows up and calls out and says, I'm here, Elizabeth actually recognizes her voice. And then two things happen um, immediately. First of all, the baby inside Elizabeth jumps. Now, we know Elizabeth was six months pregnant. She was old age. She wasn't supposed to have babies or be able to have babies. She's six months pregnant. My wife says that at six weeks, she can sort of feel the baby moving around. By six months, Elizabeth has felt this baby roll and kick and tumble. Something was unique about this moment when Mary heard Elizabeth's voice. Her baby jumped within her womb. We know that her baby was John the Baptist. And actually, John the Baptist is the one who would point out later, point to Jesus and say, Behold, there's the Son of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We actually realize now, that John the Baptist jumping in Mary's womb was, was his first testimony to Jesus as being the Messiah. And then Elizabeth cries out and tells Mary how blessed she is because she has believed what God said would happen. That's all the background for the Magnificat. And so I'd like to explore with you just three points today. Um, and the first one is I want to look a little bit more at Mary's response to God. Then, I want to look at Mary's view of God. And then, thirdly, I want to look at Mary's way of blessing at Christmas. So, first, Mary's response to God. My daughter Sarah posted on the internet, on Facebook a couple weeks ago, um, this uh, saying this by Oscar Wilde Experience is the hardest kind of teacher. It gives you the test first and the lessons afterwards. That's almost always the way it works when God is testing our faith. He gives us the test first and the lessons afterwards. And one of the amazing things when we look at Mary, this this single young adult, is how she passed the test before she would know what it was going to happen. She was willing to believe. She said yes to God immediately for God's outrageous proposal. So first thing we see about Mary is that she believed God no matter what. She believed God no matter what. She wasn't like Zechariah. We heard about Zechariah last week when the angel came to Zechariah and said, "Your wife's going, Elizabeth is going to have a baby." Zechariah doubted. That's why Zechariah didn't get to talk for the next nine months. He was dumb, struck dumb because he doubted the angel. Mary doesn't doubt. Her question is simply, "How are you going to do this since I'm a virgin?" It wasn't any question about the fact that God would do it, but simply, "How are you going to do this since I am?" a virgin. We know that Mary immediately believed Gabriel as the messenger of God. But then the other thing that Elizabeth said to Mary, Elizabeth said to Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Mary believed God No matter what. Now, we've got to make clear about what this means. Because for us, believing can be, yeah, we we accept it in our head. But in the scriptures, when it talks about believing, it's actually more like complete confidence and trust. Not just that, yeah, I'll buy that. But I will actually accept it and live into it. When the scriptures talk about belief, they mean complete trust. So what we see in Mary is not knowing how things are going to turn out. She had complete trust in the Lord, no matter what. Secondly, we see that Mary committed herself to God's will, no matter what. It didn't matter. She committed herself to God. Behold, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to his will. She submitted her will to the will of God. And we all know, because we've lived long enough, how hard it is to submit our will. And now, you know, God will promise us that it will all turn out perfectly in the end. Oh, that's easy, right? But that's not faith. She she committed herself. She believed God so much, she was able to commit herself completely. And that meant that she didn't live, She her goal wasn't to live to get what she wanted anymore. Her goal was to live for what God wanted for her. And then thirdly, we find out in the very first verse of the Magnificat that Mary rejoiced, In God, her Savior, no matter what. In the face of the impossible, in the first line of her song, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. No matter what, Mary believed God, Mary committed herself to God's will, and Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. All right, Mary's a little bit younger than most of us in this room, but she still represents a single young adult in her day and age. And I'm convinced that Mary is enough like most of us that she can be an example to us of how we can live as well. And then we come to Mary's Magnificat, Mary's song. And Mary's song is not about Mary. Mary's song is all about God. So we see Mary's view of God. And if you ever kind of want to know what God is like, Go back to the Magnificat because it tells us very clearly. First of all, God is for the humble. God is not for the proud and the loud. God is not for the arrogant and self-sufficient. God is not there for the powerful who think think might makes right. God is always there for the humble and the quiet and the broken and the needy and the marginalized. God is always there. For the humble, Mary says, God looks on the humble. Mary says, God scatters the proud in the thought of thoughts of their hearts, and she said, God brings down the mighty from their thrones and exalts the state of the humble. It is throughout scriptures unmistakably that God always tears down the proud, proud, and God always exalts the humble. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to slay every part of pride and arrogance and self sufficiency. Every single part of it within me. Because I don't want God to be opposing me. I want to learn to walk in complete humility so that God can raise me up as a humble person. Secondly, God is mighty. First of all, God is for the humble. God is mighty. Mary says that God has done great. Who is mighty has done great things. God has shown strength with his arm. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Mary believed what Gabriel said when he said, there is nothing that is impossible for God. Brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, there is nothing that is impossible for God. Nothing in our lives, nothing in our world, nothing in our families, nothing in our school, nothing in our workplace. There is nothing that is impossible for God because God is not just mighty. God is the almighty one. This is the God that we serve. Thirdly, Mary says God is holy. And in verse 49, she says says God's name is holy. And in the scriptures, whenever we find something is God's name, that means that it is an absolute part of the character of God that he can never, ever deny. God is holy. So we read in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When I think about the holiness of God, very honestly, the first thing I'm filled with is fear, because I know there's a whole lot of unholiness within me, and God can't abide my unholiness. Second thing that I think, think about when I'm filled with when I think of God's holiness is I'm filled with faith, because I know that Jesus died on the cross so that I would be forgiven, so that God would be just when he forgave me, so that God could purify me from all unrighteousness. I'm filled with this faith in Jesus. Then the third thing I'm filled with when I think of the holiness of God is fortitude or strength. Because here's what I know when I know God is holy. I know that he will always, always, always do the right thing. I may not understand what's happening in my life. I may not understand what's happening in relationships like Mary didn't understand what was happening with Joseph. I may not understand what's happening in the world with suffering and evil. But I know that God is holy, which means that I know that God will always do what is right. Next, Mary says, God is full of mercy. He has mercy for those who fear him, Mary says, from generation to generation And then later on, she says, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. When God asks us to do great and challenging things, because of his mercy, we can trust he's never going to give us more than we can handle. He's never going to challenge us beyond our capability because he is filled with mercy for us. And here's one of the neat things. Mercy is one of those things that, we can actually give as a gift to the next generation as we live into God's mercy, then our children and our grandchildren can get pictures of what that mercy looks like. We can always trust God's mercy. And then finally, Mary says, God is present. God is here. The God of the Magnifica. He's not oblivious. He's not far away. He's not disengaged. He's not abandoned his people. The God of the Magnificat is always present. He is actively watching. He's doing great things. He constantly shows up with strength. He scatters the proud. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry with good things. As Mary says at the end, God helps his servants. And he speaks to them forever. The God of the Magnificat is here. He's not far away. He's here with him, which was the whole point of the incarnation and Jesus being called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then that, that phrase that Mary says, that God helps his <coughs> servants and he speaks to them forever. What it means that God is here, certainly the comfort that God has engaged in our lives, but it also means God is still speaking to us, his children because he speaks to his children forever. Why could Mary so so readily believe in God, commit herself to the will of God, and rejoice in God her Savior? It's because this was her view of God. This was the kind of God that she served. And if you want, as I said before, if you ever need to be reminded of what God's like, go back and read the Magnificat and Mary's psalm. Final point for our sermon this evening. We've seen Mary's response to God. We've seen Mary's view of God. I want to show you, or let's look at Mary's way of blessing at Christmas, because this is where the rubber really hits the road for us. There's no question that Mary was blessed, okay? When Elizabeth saw her, Elizabeth pronounced, blessed are you among women. And then, a few verses later, Elizabeth says again, blessed are you who believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from the Lord. And then when Mary gets into the Magnificat, she she confesses it, she realizes that she will be called blessed from generation to generation. All generations would call Mary blessed. I want you to see Mary's way of blessing. She believed God no matter what. She committed herself to God's will no matter what. And she rejoiced in God, her Savior, no matter what. And here's where it starts to head for us. Where are we going to go to seek our blessings at Christmas? And so um, so here's a couple ideas, because our culture has gazillion ideas for where we can go to be blessed at Christmas. Um, this, uh, you can't see it very well up there, but... Um, but we are not, according to Audi, we're not in the season of Advent. We are in the season of Audi. Right? And with Toy- Toyota, we can go places for our blessings. Think about that. Our culture wants to convince us that there are other ways to get blessings that somehow matter. Really? I'd rather have the season of Advent where Emmanuel God with us. I'd rather go places with Jesus the King. All right, the next one. We can believe in Macy's, and we can believe in Amazon's deals of the day for our blessings. Or we can believe in Mary's way of blessing at Christmas. The next one. You've seen the ads, right? Expert service, unbeatable price, best holiday ever. And have you seen the ones win the holidays? Since when does winning make it the best holiday ever? I want to go with Best Buy? God has a far better plan for our blessing. The next one here is um, Hops for Christmas. Sandy Lab is White Christmas. Bud of the King of Beers for a Happy Holidays. A lot of our world is going to get a lot drunk in the next few weeks. Somehow looking for something they're missing. Can we please... Go with the King of Kings instead of the King of Beers. All right. Some of you are going to leave right away after church. We know who you are. Um, The one on the left is for Danny. The one in the middle is for Hojan. And June's got the one on the far right with the Seahawks. And guess what? Almost all of us will be disappointed in the NFL by the time we get to the Super Bowl. All right. Uh, What's next? Okay, it just kind of goes on and on. Buy more, get more. Somehow, just add stuff. And the next couple slides, I mean, it's people and friends and stuff we buy. And the next slide is more stuff that we can buy and Burberry and Crew and, of course, Apple products will make you blessed at Christmas. Can we not be sucked into the lies of our culture. Because as I said a couple weeks ago, there is an industry out there trying to convince you that they have the way for you to be blessed. Can we follow the way of Mary? Can we please look to her way of blessing at Christmas, which is, Believe God. Whatever's going on in your life, before you know how it's going to turn out, because Mary had no clue how this virgin mother of the Messiah was going to work out. Can we please commit to believe God no matter what? And to give up our ideas of how we want to control our life to get what we want. Can we commit to God's will no matter what? Can we regularly pray, may it be to me, Lord Jesus, according to your will. And then, we actually will be able to rejoice no matter what. Will you pray with me? Father, it is an uphill battle. Who would ever look at a 15-year-old A teenage, unwed mother for inspiration, for blessings. (laughs) Certainly not any place in our culture. May we look at Mary and find inspiration for great, great blessings.
1: For ourselves,
0: certainly. But also for those that we love for our friends and our family. And could we be an example this Christmas, Father, to a world which is aching to be blessed? Can we show them the way? By following the way of Mary. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one more slide. Can you turn the last one up there? This is what I want to leave with you because a bunch of you are leaving and, um, and we won't see you before Christmas. So um, so find that last one. It's there. It's coming. We could review the whole sermon right now. <laughs> there it is. The only real way to have a merry Christmas is to have a merry Christmas. Which is better than what I came up with before. Because I came up with this and I, I decided to spare you of what I'm going to not spare you from right now. If you want to be blessed at Christmas, you're going to have to marry Mary with Mary.